A reading from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray together, Father. As we come now to your word, I pray that you would speak. We, we want to hear from you. We, I, will, I will proclaim a, a message, um, which is an interpretation of your word. But what we need this morning, more than anything else, is your word. So I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict hearts and encourage hearts and equip hearts. Give us what we need even if it's not what we want. So, Father, now help us. Help us. We need grace to do this, to submit ourselves under the word and resolve to not merely be hearers this morning, but to be hearers and doers. We can only do that by your grace. So we ask that you would give it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We are a few weeks away from finishing our summer-long journey through the book of James. It's, it's been a journey where we've been looking at uh, a lot of truths, but, but really James's main concern is how does the Christian community function? What are Christians supposed to do? So we've been focusing on saving faith and what saving faith actually does, how it, how it unfolds, how it unpacks, what it looks like in our, in our lives and, and in our city. When people look at this community, when people look at your individual Christian life, what do they see? They should see a faith that is working. And so we've been looking at a number of different things. Last week, Kevin uh, preached from James three thirteen through 18. And at the, at the end of that passage, James writes, he, he's contrasting two kinds of wisdom, this earthly wisdom and this godly wisdom. And then at the end in verse 17, he writes, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then in verse 18, which, which is really the basis, you can kind of see the pivot. You can see the, the reasoning behind James's pivot at the beginning of chapter 4 when you read in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Uh, there, are a lot of, there are a few different angles we could take with uh, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And, and different commentators, different scholars, different pastors, they divide this passage in a number of different ways. We, we really could just look at the first five verses uh, by themselves. You, we could spend time looking at the, 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 one, the one simple phrase in, in verse 4 that if you want to be a friend of the world, then you're going to make yourself an enemy of God. There's so much we could say there. And then the, the exhortations, James it gives these like this lengthy list of just exhortation after exhortation where he's telling us what to do. So if you've ever waited for a sermon where you actually have a how-to list, you're going to get one today. It may not be the one that you want. It may not be the one that you have expected 
expected, but you are going to get a how-to list today. Um, but in verses 7, you know, all the way through verse 10, it's just exhortation after exhortation. And then in verses 11 and 12, we, we could focus on those two by themselves as well. We've decided to take it as a whole because I believe James is showing us two kinds of postures that we can take in the church. And really, James is concerned with the church. He's concerned with the community of the church, the members of the church, and how they are interacting with one another. And as, as we consider the mission of Trace Crossing, not you know our vision and our mission, why we exist, part of that is to pursue gospel-shaped community. That, that's what we want to do here as the church at Trace Crossing, to pursue community that is shaped not by worldly standards, but is shaped by the gospel. And that's why we believe and we confess and we seek to live in light of the, re- of the reconciliation that we find in Jesus. We, we know and we confess that through Jesus' shed blood and broken body on the cross, he has reconciled us to God and to one another. It's objective. It's something that he did by his death on the cross And through our faith, our reception of what Jesus has done, we immediately have access to God. We are reconciled. Our sin separates us from God. And because Jesus died for our sin, when we trust in Jesus, we immediately have fellowship and communion and reconciliation with God. And the same is true of every other person who also trusts in Jesus. You are united to them as well. This isn't a solo project. So if you are a Christian in this room, whether you're a member of this church or not, You are eternally and securely united to God. Nothing can take that away from you. No one can take that away from you, but you're not only eternally and securely united to God, you are eternally and securely united to every other Christian who has ever come before you and whoever will go ahead of us. All because of what Jesus has done. And so because of that objective reality in the church universal, We believe that the local church should be a reflection of that. Okay, we should be an outpost of what Jesus has accomplished for us. So we should then pursue healthy, thriving community with one another. Well, when we try to do that, what does that mean? Let's let's just get really basic. When you try to pursue community, it means you have to be with other people, right? Like, you can't do it by yourself. You can't isolate. I, I promise you, if, if you, if you don't come on Sunday mornings, if you, if you don't attend, and you, and, you don't, and you don't attend on Wednesday nights when we have equipping classes when they start back in, in August, and, and you don't, and you don't have, a, have a life group or you don't serve, you will not feel close to anyone because you're not with anyone. It's really not that hard, you know. Now, you can be here every single time the doors are open and not have true community, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But as we pursue community, we have to be together. Now, when sinners spend a lot of time together, we will inevitably face conflict. We will. We will. To deny that is foolish. We'll face conflict. Any, anyone who has been any, in any relationship for any lengthy period of time knows that the closer you are with someone, the more potential there is for conflict. So as sinners, you know, come together, as we pursue community, we are going to face conflict. And that's James's point at the very beginning of this passage. He's asking us a question that assumes something that is happening. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you what what's the assumption there there are quarrels and there are fights happening within the church there are quarrels and fights that have happened in this church there are quarrels and fights that will happen in this church in the future you may be in a quarrel right now with another member of this church you may be in a fight right now you may be in conflict with someone and if you're not you probably will be I hope so anyway, because that means that we are seeking to grow closer together. But here's the danger. Here's the danger that I believe James is concerned with here. The big picture danger is unresolved conflict in the church kills community. It kills it. It cannot thrive. It cannot live. It sucks the very life out of a church. Conflict will when it's unresolved. He outlines a problem. 
There's conflict in the body, and it kills community. And then he asks the question, what, what causes this problem? What causes this conflict? What causes the quarrels? What causes the fights? What's the source of the problem? But we don't only see at the very beginning of verse 1 there that, that there's conflict in the church among the members. He also digs into another problem, conflict with God. We all know Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. However, I don't know if you've experienced this. I know I have. Communion with God, your relationship with God can wane. It can dissipate. You can feel closer to God sometimes and other times you can feel very far away from God. When, when James asks this question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? The answer that he gives is the reason that you will face conflict with other believers here. It's the reason you may be in a conflict with another believer here, but it's also the reason that you may be in conflict with God this morning. It's, it's also the reason that you may, in the future, come into conflict with God. So he outlines this problem. There's conflict that results from something. There's a source. And then he gives us a solution. He gives us a solution. So if the first half of the passage, just to give you, just to kind of help you break this down, give you a little bit of an outline, you can break this passage down in the first five verses and then from verse six all the way to verse 12. And in the first five verses, he's talking about the problem. And then from verse six all the way to the end uh, to verse 12, he's offering a solution to the problem of conflict in the church, community killing conflict in the church. And he says the solution is God's grace. He says the solution is faith in Jesus, which leads to a particular posture before God and before other people. As as those of us who have sin that, are, that still indwells in our hearts because every single person in this room has sin in their hearts. You do. You're not free. We are free. We just celebrated it. We just proclaimed it. We are free from the power of sin. It has no power over you anymore. It has no dominion over you anymore. Christ has conquered it. It's still there, though. It's still there. That's why you're still tempted. That's why you still sin. You still sin. Not because you don't have power over sin. You still sin because sin is still there. And sometimes you don't exercise power over sin. You give in to it. And because sin is there, particularly in this passage in James 4, the sins of pride and self-gratification. Pride and self-gratification. Because of pride and because of self-gratification, conflict rises to the surface. Conflict exists in the church, both between the members and between the people and God. So there are two postures then that James is presenting to us, one that he condemns and one that he commands. The first posture is the posture of the flesh, and the posture of the flesh kills community. It kills community. If all of us in this room are taking up this posture of the flesh, and we're all capable of doing it because we still have sin in our hearts, we will kill community in this church. No matter if we follow all of the suggestions that all of the experts say on how you can build community in a church, we can follow all of those steps. We can have as many fellowship lunches as we want. We can, we can do the inflatables again. We can do it. It'd be fun. It'd be awesome. It'd be so fun. But if we take this first posture that I'm about to unpack we'll be out there in conflict with one another as the kids are jumping off the bouncy houses. We will. We will. And it will continue. We can come here. We can have like perfect attendance every seat. And we may start having conversations. Oh, do we need to go to two services? Do we need to do the overflow room? Are we going to expand and get really excited? But if you take a posture of the flesh, community won't grow here. Not true biblical community. It won't. Because the posture of the flesh 
has two parts. One of pride, I want my way, my way is best, and self-gratification. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get my way. I'm gonna do whatever it takes, even at the expense of someone else, to make myself happy. All right, so if you're a note taker, we've got two big headings here. These two postures, the posture of the flesh, the posture of the flesh, which kills community, and then the second one we're going to look at in a little bit later, the posture of faith. The posture of faith, which builds community. All right, so first, let's look at the posture of the flesh, which kills community. Um, I'm going to read the first oh, two verses, just so we can see this. So James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's just putting this question out there. And then he says, is it not this? He's given the answer in the form of a question. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's kind of surprising what James does, you know, and it's instructive to us. Whenever we see a problem in the church, whenever we see a problem in our own lives, Typically, we start looking all on the surface and we're looking at other people and we're looking at our circumstances and, well, I kind of did that because of this reason. I think of, of weight gain for myself, okay? I, I was looking at Erica. I'm gonna be a little transparent here. <laughs> Hope you don't mind. Um, maybe too much information. I don't know. We'll see. Um, this literally, I was looking at uh, my MyFitnessPal app and last year on July 13th, which was yesterday, last year, Um, I I weighed 250 pounds, okay? And by November 5th, I was down to 220. All right, yeah, yeah. It's like I was heading in the right direction, right? And and then I I just, I looked at it. That was the last entry that I had had entered into into my fitness pound. James up here, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's the last time I visited it. And, you know, so... (laughs) I go in, so I'm like, I'm back on the kick, right? I'm back on it. You know, I've, already, I've lost five pounds this past week, so I'm back on it. Well, uh, I, I put in my weight yesterday. Guess how much I weighed a year later? 250. 250. It, the, the exact, <laughs> I weighed the exact same thing um, a year later. So, when we start thinking about it, as soon, my, the first thought, the first thought that came to my mind was, I'm thinking about all the circumstances of my life. I'm like, well, yeah, obviously this isn't good. But it's because there was, I was under a lot of stress. It's, it's because we had a lot going on. It's because I didn't have time. I had all these extra things that I was doing. It's because of this. It's because of that. I'm looking all around. I'm almost like spinning, you know? And, and I'm just looking for anything around me. But the problem isn't out there. The problem was in here, a lack of self-control, a lack of discipline. We don't want to dig deep for those problems because once we recognize those problems, there's only one answer to that, confession and repentance and change. And all of those things are hard. It's very easy to look around and just blame someone and justify yourself and vindicate yourself. Oh, I'm good. I mean, I hate that. I'm in this situation, but I'm good. You see, James doesn't allow these believers. We're going to do that. If there are problems in this church, that's, I promise you, that's the first place you're going to look. You're going to look all around. You're going to look at circumstances. You're going to look at justifying explanations. And James helps us here. It's so instructive. His answer in the form of a question, is it not this, that your passions which can also just, be, if you're confused by that, just translated pleasures. It's, from the, it's where we get the word hedonism. Pleasures, passions, are at war within you. Why are you seeing conflict on the surface? Because beneath the surface, there is conflict. Why are you going to war with other brothers and sisters in this faith family? Why do you go to war with your spouse? Why do you go to war with your friends or your coworkers, your employees or your boss? Why do you go to war? Because you are at war in your heart. He digs beneath the surface and he shows us there is a particular posture, this posture of the flesh that will do nothing 
but cause conflict and kill community. And um, it's characterized by, as I said, pride and self-gratification. The posture of the flesh has relational expressions and consequences. So first, horizontally, look at verse, verse one and verse two. He's talking about these fightings that are happening within the body. These horizontal um, expressions and consequences of pride and self-gratification. Pride and self-gratification harm our relationships with one another. That's all they will do. If we allow pride and the desire to satisfy ourselves at the expense of others, if we allow that to reign in our hearts, on the surface, what you're going to see, the product of that, is conflict. Because when someone contradicts what you think is best or what you want, you will fight. You will fight. You will fight to vindicate yourself. You will fight to show that you actually are the one who's right. You will fight for your way. You may even have good intentions. I think this is what's best. Someone else doesn't. I don't think that's what's best. And so the first response for you is not have a healthy discussion. It's, I don't like that person anymore. They disagree with me. I'm going to isolate myself. That's what pride and self-gratification does in our horizontal relationship. It isolates us from one another. How, how does it kill? How does this posture of the flesh kill community? It kills community because pride and self-gratification, it causes you to isolate yourself from other people in this body. You know what pride does? Pride creates fear. I don't know if you've ever associated pride and fear. Pride creates fear. We've been set free from fear, okay? Pride creates fear. Do you think if you allow pride to reign in your heart that you're gonna go to a life group and be transparent and open about your weaknesses? Your pride won't allow it. There's no way. You are too afraid that someone may see your flaws. I'm not talking about general stuff like, oh yeah, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. No, like specific stuff. Not, well, just consequence of the fall. I live in a fallen world and yeah, I I sin too. No. We were able to actually sit with someone. Maybe it's not in a life group. Maybe it's in one of your discipleship groups where it's one or two people. Maybe it's one-on-one with just someone really, that you're really close to in the church. And you say, no, um, I have resolved to, to stop ignoring my children when I go home from work. And guess what? I'm still doing that. I'm still doing that. When that happens, the other person is able to love you and serve you and care for you and pray for you and community is built. But pride would never allow you to step into that kind of conversation. It would never allow you to reveal anything that may cause someone to think something negatively about you. So you avoid situations where you're going to be asked, hey, how are things going? You're going to isolate yourself from that. You may come in here on a Sunday morning because I'm the one talking. You just get to be quiet, you know, <laughs> sometimes too quiet. I don't know. Um, but you're never going to get close to someone. Your pride won't allow it. Pride builds walls between believers. And it resists the very thing that would break those walls down. So uh, consider, consider the potential conflicts. And, and if, if, you're, if you're worried that, you know, where am I getting this? Where am I getting pride and self-gratification? Look at verse two. It says, you desire... You desire and do not have, so you murder. He says, there's this beneath the surface problem. You have these desires that are not being fulfilled, so it explodes in anger. You covet and cannot obtain. You want something that someone else has so bad you can't stand yourself, but you don't get it. So beneath the surface, you have this war going on, and then you explode. You fight and quarrel. 
And then um, that's just the first half of verse two. We're gonna get to the second half of it in verse three and four in just a second. Pride and self-gratification, it builds up these walls between believers so that we cannot actually get close to one another. And just consider the potential conflicts that could happen in the life of our church. All of, all of what I'm about to share, all of these are good things. It's, it's not the circumstances. It's our heart. It's what's inside of us. We are at war. The flesh and the spirit are at war. Like relational conflicts. You know, we're calling for life groups. You know, we're going to have a life group leader informational meeting this Wednesday. And just, just a short word about that. We're probably already full on the amount of life group leaders we have for this semester. So we're probably good. Um, we, may, we may add one or two more if, if that. But what this meeting is for is for the development of future leaders. We're not just like going semester by semester. We want to look down the road. So if you're like, there's no way I even could see myself being a leader in a year. But, you, but you're interested, or you just have questions, or you want to see what the expectations are, come to the meeting. Come to the meeting. But as we encourage people to go to, to life group, and we want every single member to, to be in a life group, or serving. If you're not in a life group, serving on Sunday nights up here with the kids. We're pushing people together. We're pushing these sinners. We're pushing people who are at war within themselves into close quarters. So, when that happens, relational conflicts could happen. You could be talking about a passage and find out that you have a doctrinal disagreement with someone else in the room. Conflict. Someone could say something unintentionally that offends you. Conflict. And if you walk into those meetings with pride and self-gratification welling up in your heart, James says, it's going to explode into conflict with other people, but relationally. So all of those are good things. Discipleship groups. We're, we're really pushing discipleship groups, and so many groups are already still meeting, where you're meeting not just with a big group of people, but you know, occasionally, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week for coffee or for lunch, or you know, after the kids go to bed, you get together with same gender, like a group of th- two or three of the same gender to go a little bit deeper. Maybe you're, maybe you're just meeting to pray together. Maybe you're meeting to memorize scripture together. Maybe you're reading another book of the Bible. But as you get closer, again, the potential for conflict is real and it's there. Think about ministry teams. We've created a TC Kids leadership team and they met this past week and it was, it was fantastic. It was fantastic, just the brainstorming and, and the ideas and the things that we can implement. And we're gonna have other teams, you know, a missions team, a local missions team, a national missions team, an international missions team. But whenever you get teams of people together and you're brainstorming, what's going to happen? Inevitably, you're going to have different ideas. We all want the same thing, right? We want what's best for the church. But we may disagree on how to get there. Conflict. There's potential for conflict there. Ministry changes. Think, just think about it for a second. Ministry changes. Some of you love the way we do life groups. You love it. Some of you are like, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this model. If I have to drive up to that church one more time and then go all the way back to that house and then go all the way back and then go all the way home one more time, you know. It's, it's not that you don't like life groups. It's not that you don't like love what we do with the kids. It's that, you, you know, you just don't like the model. Some of you are like, oh, please, if you change it, oh, it's going to kill me. You know, and some of you are like, can we just go back to Sunday school? You know, like, do we have to do this life group thing? And guess what? All of those views and opinions and ideas, they're okay. It's good. But when we have different ideas and we share those with one another, conflict. There's potential for conflict. Worship pastor, search, you know? We, when we begin a search for a full-time worship pastor, I don't, some of you are already nodding. Like, I don't even have to say it. Like, you know, you've been in churches. You know, the, the different worship styles, personalities, everything under the sun. It's like, you know, you're like, oh man, we got that shoemaker kid out of here. Now we can really get a good worship leader in. Don't worry, I'll make sure he sees that. 
And some of you are like, I want, I want a clone, you know? It, but when we have those different ideas, there's potential for conflict. Kids ministry, building additions, all of the things that we will be walking through as a faith family. There is potential for conflict. And if we walk into those discussions and conversations and meetings with pride and self-gratification, winning the day in our hearts, we will explode and we will have conflict with one another. And when that happens, we will kill the community of this church. We'll kill it. We'll destroy it. And as some of you know, church conflicts, man, sometimes don't they just last a long time? Like years? Like, you know, they're probably, you know, some, some old ladies just in nursing homes right now that are still mad about the carpet color change of 1967, you know? I, I mean, but, but it could be something really small. It could be something really big too, though, but conflict in the church, it can last a really long time. And James, I don't know if you've picked up on it yet, but fighting, war. He's using this language of war because he sees even the smallest quarrel, even the smallest argument and fight it has long-term devastating consequences. These conflicts that linger, if you're in conflict right now with someone and you've been in conflict with them for a long time, they usually linger because neither person or one person is completely unwilling to lay down their arms and raise a white flag and give in and give up. You won't let go. Why? Because of pride because of this desire to satisfy yourself at all costs. It builds these walls. And then when those walls are built, we entrench ourselves in our positions and in our views, and we're not going anywhere. We're not moving. There's a wall between you. You're not moving, they're not moving. You're not growing close together. Community will die. And if that becomes characteristic of this church or any church, it would be a scary and sad place to be because that would not be a place where you would receive the one another's of scripture. You would not receive love or service or sacrifice from another person because self-gratification especially, it kills community because it smothers service, self-denial, and love. You see, self-gratification well, you're seeking to gratify your own desires first. It makes sacrifices, but it makes sacrifices for me. It makes sacrifices for, for yourself. So we'll never be able to fulfill those one another passages of Scripture if our chief aim is to satisfy ourselves. If it's my happiness first, everybody else's happiness second, you're going to love one another, and you're not going to serve one another true community requires laying down personal preferences and laying down personal desires for the good of others if it comes to it. And so this self-gratifying posture of the flesh won't allow you to do that. But pride and self-gratification, they don't just isolate us from one another. They actually oppose God. They oppose God. They alienate us from God. Look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, James says, beginning at verse four. So back to the end of verse two, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. So now he's shifting to prayer. He shifts to prayer. And then verse three, well, some of you ask, but you're not receiving what you're asking for because you're asking for the wrong reasons. This is, this is scary. Po the, this posture of the flesh not only creates conflict with other believers, it creates conflict with God. And conflict with God cuts us off from God. I want to be careful using that language. Because if you are truly in Christ, you are, like I said at the beginning, eternally and securely united to God. Nothing will change that. However, your communion with God can dissipate. 
It's not that God doesn't hear our prayers. You see in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's not that God does not hear our prayers. And it's not that God has abandoned you. But God will not respond to our self-centered prayers. He won't. He will not, he will not respond to our self-centered prayers. And, you know... Part of that is gloriously good news that the Lord so often saves us from ourselves where we're, we're praying for something and the only purpose that we have in that prayer is to satisfy our own sinful passions. The Lord won't grant that. He won't give that. He won't allow you to do that to yourself. However, if that's your posture, you don't have communion with God. You won't be close to him. You will be distant. Not because he's running away from you, but because you're running away from him. You're you're the one creating the distance. The posture of the flesh will not submit to God's ways when they contradict our own. When God's will and God's ways contradict what we want for ourselves or we want for our families, if you are allowing pride and self-gratification to win the day in your heart, you'll oppose God. It's, it's really serious what James is cautioning here. Pride believes we know better than God. I know you would never say that. I know you wouldn't. That's, that's a really serious thing to say. I know you would never admit that. But every single time you disobey God, that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. When you don't submit to him and what he wants and you do your own thing, you're saying, I know what's best for me and I don't care what you say, I'm gonna do it. It's just sheer rebellion. And self-gratification wants something for ourselves that God doesn't want for us. Our, our desires come into conflict and you know something that's really serious that's actually on display even though a lot of this is within our own hearts this part is on display in the world this posture of the flesh this conflict that we have with one another and with God it reflects the wrong kingdom so look at verse 4 he has this charge you adulterous people you are spiritually adulterous to God. And then he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. All right, so in the context of this passage, what he's saying is this posture of the flesh that you are assuming is the posture the world assumes. Before you come to faith in Jesus, you have the flesh, okay? Because of sin, you are born in the flesh. You you have this sinful heart that everyone, everyone in the world does. People who have never been to church, they, they have this, they have the flesh. The world has the flesh. Those of us who have turned from our sin and trusted in Jesus also have the spirit. We have been redeemed and we have the spirit of the living God in us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. So when we only assume a posture of the flesh, we're rejecting the spirit that is within us and assuming our former way of life. That's how egregious this is. When there is conflict in the church that is not being resolved and not being dealt with, you are reflecting the wrong kingdom. You're reflecting the kingdom of the world. And James is really precise in his language and it bites you want to be a friend of the world you want to take that position and allow pride and self-gratification to continue winning every single day in your heart you can't be friends with God you got a choice you can be God's friend or the world's friend you can't have it both ways you can't 
Serve your pride and serve God. You cannot serve your selfish desires to fulfill your sinful passions and be satisfied in God. You can have one or the other. When we are prideful and self-gratifying, we are no different from the world. We don't require the Holy Spirit to be prideful or selfish. We can do that all by ourselves. So this, this posture, it, it opposes God. And, and I, hope, I hope you see this, that conflict, no matter how small, these quarrels, these, these little fights, no matter how small, should never be tolerated in the church because it seeks to kill what God has created. So what's the solution? Verse six. It's my favorite verse so far. Just part of it, first part of it. But he gives more grace. (laughs) It's, It's so beautiful. It's so short. I love it. I love that he cut it off right there. But he gives more grace. It's overwhelming, isn't it? Because if, if you're self-aware at all, you know how prideful you can be. You know how often you put your own desires above others, even God. What hope do we have? He gives more grace. God gives us the grace we need to assume a new posture. Not the posture of the flesh, but the posture of faith. And the posture of faith builds community. So our second big heading, the posture of faith builds community. What does genuine faith do? Genuine faith in Jesus assumes a posture of humility and sacrifice. And the result, again, humility and sacrifice, it's beneath the surface. Just like pride and self-gratification, it's beneath the surface, it's in the heart, that's where it's happening. But where pride and self-gratification overflow in conflict and fighting and war, humility and sacrifice overflow in love and service and self-denial. And pride and self-gratification, whereas they will destroy the community of this church, humility and sacrifice... That's the foundation where community can actually be built. That's the tools that we need. So community is built then when we humble ourselves before God. Now, this is the how-to part. You ready? All right, so a how-to on assuming a posture of faith. How, how can we build community? You know, so much ink has been spilled in writing books on how you can improve the community of your church. And most of them are all about all the things that you can do, all the programs that you can start. Um, James, again, where's he working? He's not working up here. He's not looking all around. He's looking within. Here's your how-to. Hey, you want to build community in this church? Here's how we do it. First, submit to God. Submit to God. Fall in line with his will and his ways every time. Every time. That has, to be, that has to be our motive. It has to be our goal to submit to God. Look to his word and see what he expects of us as his people. And then do it. <laughs> James is so simple. Submit to God. Let go of your way. Let go. Let go of what you think is best for your life. Let go of what you think is best for this church and look to his word and see what he says is best for this church. Look to his word and see what he says is best for your marriage. What's best for your kids. What's best for you. And do it. And do it. Submit to God. All right? Number two, resist Satan. You want to build community in this church? Submit to God and resist Satan. Um, let's look at it. So he says in verse 
6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So it's a very clean transition between these two perspectives or these two postures. And then in verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When you resist Satan's plans for war, because that's Satan's plans for this church, conflict, for there to be war and fighting and quarreling and arguing. He wants you to allow pride and self-gratification to reign in your heart. Do you think Satan's done with you just because he is conquered and just because you are saved and just because now you have the power of the Holy Spirit living? Satan's not done. He will continue working to oppose God and his people until the very end. Um, so when you resist Satan's plans for war by laying down arms, I'm not fighting. I'm not. I'm, I'm laying down arms. And by giving in to God, Satan will run. It, it's a... Uh, I don't know, it's a little surprising. When I think of Satan, I, I don't know, I, I think of cosmic battle, you know? I think of, you know, waking up in the morning and, you know, you just get on your knees and Satan, you're not going to win. And just this aggressive, you know, approach to opposing Satan. And the Lord just says, submit to me. Give in to me. Allow humility and self-sacrifice to win the day in your heart. And when Satan sees humility, humility, think about it. You would think when Satan sees the power of God that he would run in terror. When Satan sees humility in the hearts of God's people, he runs. He's terrified of your humility. He's terrified of peace. When he sees peace in a church, yeah, he wishes that he could overcome it and destroy it. And he may try, but when he sees God's people striving for peace together because they are resisting pride and self-gratification and embracing humility and self-sacrifice, it scares him to death. It scares him to death because that is where his defeat lies. Jesus defeated Satan. How did he do it? Through humility and self-sacrifice and self-denial and service and love through his death on the cross. And so when we reflect what Jesus did on the cross in the life of this church, Satan runs. He flees. He's terrified of ordinary submission and obedience to God. If you are an ordinary, faithful Christian, ordinary, faithful Christian, pursuing the things of Jesus, Satan's terrified of you. Terrified. So submit to God and resist Satan. And then third, how are we going to build community? How, how can we assume this posture of faith which is marked by humility and self-sacrifice, draw near to God. Draw near to God. The church growth experts would be so disappointed in my list. They would be so upset. It's, it's, so, uh, it's so bland, but it's so rich. Draw near to God. You, you, want, you want to build community in this church? You want to see people grow closer together? Draw near to God. Um, James says in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. As you resist your pride and selfishness and draw near to God, Satan will run away, but God will come near. He's not a king who demands obedience from his subjects on a distant throne so far away. God is a king who demands obedience of us in a relationship with us, the way a father interacts with his son. So as you humble yourself before God, he will come close. Humility, humility builds and strengthens communion with God. 
You feel far away from God? Humble yourself before him. Humble yourself before him, and he will draw near as you draw near to him. How do we do that? How do we do that? What does that require? Confession of sin, contrition over sin, and repentance of sin. Look, look at verse 9. Such strong language. James says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So we need to see how damaging our pride and self-gratification are before God. They isolate us from one another. They oppose God. But we also need to feel the devastation of our pride and self-gratification. We need to feel the devastation of what lurks in our hearts, which explodes in conflict in the church. He says it in verse four. We have committed spiritual adultery against God. So see and feel the devastation of conflict in the church and the root causes of it and mourn over it. Weep over it. Grieve deeply. Lament and hate the darkness that we are so tempted and so often walk in. And then turn. Turn to the light of God's grace. Humble yourself, James says, before the Lord. And he will exalt you to heights that your pride only promises but never delivers. Submit yourself to the Lord and he will satisfy you in ways that your flesh can only promise but never deliver. So community is built when we humble ourselves before the Lord. And then finally, community is built when we sacrifice for one another. Look at his exhortations in verse 11. So verses 11 and 12 are really interesting. He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So he's telling us to avoid two things, speaking evil against one another and judging one another. Don't speak evil against one another and don't judge one another. So when you speak evil against another brother or sister in this faith family, you set yourself up as a judge over them. And here's, here's what it basically looks like. Someone says something about you that is either false or untrue. It angers you. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. You have genuinely been wronged by someone else in this church. And then you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to satisfy your pride and self-gratification, assume a posture of the flesh, or you can assume the posture of faith and satisfy your humility and exercise self-sacrifice. You, you have that choice every single time someone wrongs you. And when you choose to gratify these sinful passions, when you choose to allow pride to win the day in your heart, you set yourself up as the judge over them because you vindicate yourself. You see a wrong, this isn't right, I'm going to set it right. Here's the problem. You're not the judge. And I'm not the judge. And we don't have the right to do that to one another. When we do, we create a hierarchy that does not exist. And when we do, we belittle, we belittle and demean a co-heir of Christ's kingdom. Okay, so I love his final question there. He says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you? Who, who are you to judge your neighbor? You're going to allow pride and self-gratification to well up in your heart and explode in conflict. And then when someone does come in conflict with you, you're going to set yourself up as a judge over them and try to vindicate yourself. Who are you? Who are we? We are sinners. I'm just as much of a sinner as you are. You are just as much of a sinner as the person sitting on the other side of this room. We are all sinners who are also saved by grace. So, as we work, as we work to build one another up, 
with our words and with our actions, we reflect a heart that is fully submitted to God and his kingdom. We have a choice. You have a choice this morning. You have a choice every single day. Which posture are you going to take up? The posture of the flesh? You're gonna satisfy those sinful passions that still are at war with the spirit within you? Or are you gonna satisfy the spirit? Are you going to humble yourself before the Lord and one another? Are you going to sacrifice yourself, give of yourself for one another? Because when you do that, the only way for us to not speak evil against someone else is to draw near to them and love them. And then finally, we will be able to fulfill those one another passages. We'll be able to serve one another and love one another and encourage one another and do good for one another without caring for our own self-satisfaction. So as we deny ourselves, as we sacrifice of ourselves for others, as we bleed for one another in this fellowship, in service, and in love, the bonds of our community will be strengthened. They will be built up. You want to see this community grow and be strong, then pursue the posture of faith. If we resolve to take a posture of faith before God and with one another, for example, in life groups this year, fewer conflicts will arise. And when they do, we will be quicker to see the power of God's healing and restoring grace because we'll be a people that will be on the front end of confession and repentance and forgiveness. Um, and then verse six. Let's go back to it one more time. Verse six. Because you may be overwhelmed this morning. You may be, you may be seeing, maybe the Lord's revealing um, sins of pride and self-gratification in your heart. I, believe me, he worked on me all week. What hope do we have? He gives more grace. God gives more grace for the sins of pride and self-gratification in our hearts. He gives more grace every single day for us to avoid conflict and to resolve conflict. Our contrition, our confession, our repentance, every single time it will be met with more grace. So be quick to do those things. Every single time you'll be met with grace from God and should be met with grace from another believer. And because God gives more grace, because he gives more grace, not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against us in this fellowship. Because God gives more grace, we will be empowered to resist within us the very thing that would destroy us. If we walk in God's abundant grace in this church, I fully believe we will actually get to experience in real time what Christ has bought for us with his blood. A true and healthy, growing, thriving community. Let's, let's pray that the Lord would work that in us. Father, um, I pray that you would break us down so that you can build us up. Community is built when we are broken, when we humble ourselves before you and before one another. And it's not lost on me. All of this is so easy to say. Sometimes it's difficult to hear. But what's happening this morning is actually the easy part. Maybe, like me, there are some here who are convinced and convicted and are resolving to do whatever it takes to build true biblical community in this church. And what it takes is submission to you and resisting Satan and drawing near to you. It takes us sacrificing for one another. It takes us fighting the battle that's within so that we're not fighting with one another. It's so easy to say that and believe that and know that that's what we need to do. So as we leave this place and we approach a new semester where life groups are going to begin and discipleship groups are still going strong and some life groups are still going strong, as we seek to build community, that's where the real work comes in. So please, please, give us more grace. Give us more grace. 
to do what you've called us to do. It's daunting. I'm so easily offended. It's so easy for me to be defensive when I'm wronged. Help me to trust that you are the judge and you will vindicate. You are the one who sets all things right. Help us to resist Satan. Help us to draw near to you. Help us to submit to you. And Father, give us the grace we need to kill what is within us that would otherwise, if left unchecked, kill the community between us. Restore us to yourself and restore us afresh to one another by the power of the gospel. Jesus died to purchase a people so that we would be together. Help us to thrive together for your sake. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.